Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 25 how Isaac and Rebecca were one in their marriage, were humble, and how they were praying people who stayed faithful and did not stop asking, seeking, and knocking to God in their prayers. Now, before we get started with our Bible study here for a Monday, we'd like to encourage you to be a part of reaching lost Jewish people in your neighborhood, your area, those you encounter, maybe a doctor, a lawyer, a neighbor, a friend, a businessman, someone you know that's Jewish and needs to be reached with Jewish evangelism materials from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, and Israel Restoration Ministries. These are free gifts that we give out to lost Jewish people. We'll give it to you to give to them, or uh, we'll have it sent directly to them anonymously, but you you can fill out the online form and receive that free gift to you or your Jewish friend at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Fill out the online form. You can also support these gifts going out to lost Jewish people by donating at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us directly at 800-247-3051. And by donating, you'll be supporting Jewish evangelism, the gospel going to the Jew first, as Scripture commands, and then to the Gentile. You'll be reaching lost Jewish people by supporting the gospel going in a manner in which they need to hear it, which is with Jewish evangelism resources that speak to their heart from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Again, you can donate or get that free gift directly by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or again, donate online by filling out the online form for a free gift or to support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism. Again, it's located at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher and Jewish born-again Christian, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God, teaching us from the book of Genesis how Isaac and Rebecca stayed faithful in their prayers to God. All right, Genesis chapter 25, and uh, we continue in our study. We will begin reading in uh, verse 21 in just a moment. First, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your marvelous word, Lord. It is marvelous, and we marvel at it because it reveals you, and we marvel at you when we see you. And so help us this morning, Lord, to marvel in the wonder of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Genesis chapter 25, we're starting verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah's wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, that's as far as we'll go. Now, so far, we've been in this great journey here you know, with Isaac and Rebekah. It's been wonderful. As they, and, and because we started out in the end of chapter 24 there with their, their marriage. It was a happy marriage. And they were together. And the wonderful words that really started out their marriage and made it so wonderful and set the course for their marriage was the last verse in chapter 24 
where it says in verse 67, And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. See, Isaac loved Rebekah, and that made their home a happy home. And we'll see that we're going through some of these, but we're going to see more and more that like in all marriages, Isaac and Rebecca, they had their ups and they had their downs as any couple has. But there's a wonderful picture that we see of Isaac and Rebecca, And it's just this word together. They were just together. The Hebrew word echad. They were echad. And that was the word that God used to describe the marriage relationship, what it should be that he intended for a man and a woman when they get married. He said this has got to be a relationship of echad, of being one. That's what he said in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. There shall be echad. There shall be one flesh. That's the word that God used that same word, echad, when he was describing not only the marriage relationship, but he was describing the relationship in the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 where it literally reads, Hero Israel, Shema Yisrael, Yehovah, Eloheinu, Yehovah, echad. And so through all of their lives, what we see about Isaac and Rebekah is that they were together, and then they were echad. Isaac and Rebekah, they were like Abraham and Sarah. They had their ups, they had their downs, but in the end, they were together. There were some tough times for Sarah and Abraham, like when Abraham told Sarah, you just go ahead and be the wife, become the wife of Pharaoh and Abimelech because I'm scared for my life. That was a downtime. And when Sarah told Abraham, oh, you, you just go find that bed of Hagar's over there. Just go climb in that bed, make a baby with her. That was a downtime in their marriage. See, those times were enough to break up any marriage. But Abraham and Sarah had made a personal vow before God that no matter how down it got, no matter how difficult it became, no matter how fierce the disagreement was between them, that they would stay echad. They would stay together. And so they always returned in this humble repentance. And at the end, we saw this wonderful sight of Abraham and Sarah standing together. And that's the way it is for Isaac and Rebekah here. We're going to see some bitter partiality coming here. We just read about it where Jacob is going to become Rebekah's darling. And Esau is going to be Isaac's darling. And a terrible deception is going to ensue. And Esau is going to go off and marry the wrong woman, wrong marriage. And it's going to break the heart of Isaac and Rebekah. And, and again, they have a downtime when, when Isaac says to Rebekah, just go become the wife of, of Abimelech because I'm scared for my life. But at the end, through humble repentance, Isaac and Rebekah, they're standing together. And they stand together and it's a wonderful sight. And that makes any marriage a wonderful sight. And that's that one word that's used there. It's the word together. And the word together, and they can only be together if they are humble. And God loves to see that in a marriage. And he looks down and he looks at that unity and God sings the words. Maybe he sings, I don't know. Psalm 133.1. Behold, you know, the, in Hebrew they sing that song. You know, they say, he ne, you say, how's it going now? Let me think for it. So if you sing in English, it would be, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It doesn't come out as good in English as it does, but it doesn't matter. So God looks at that. He says, that's very good. I love that. 
And if you asked Rebecca to describe her life with Isaac, you say, Rebecca, just go ahead and give me a little description of what it's been like for you to be married to Isaac. You know what she would say? She would say, Isaac and I have had a wonderful marriage together. And then she would say, I'm so privileged to have had such a wonderful husband as Isaac. And having these children is such a blessing because it's a wonderful answer to prayer. And I'm just so happy to have been a part of it all. And I'm thankful to have been Isaac's wife and to work together with him in life. Because of my marriage to Isaac, I've been able to know God more deeply and see many answers to prayers. And I've been able to meet many wonderful people and do great things. And I'm just so grateful to have been a part with Isaac in helping the lives of some of the lost we've been in contact with. And my marriage to Isaac is something that I didn't deserve. I was just a little girl from Syria. And I was honored to have been brought to become the wife of Isaac. It's been a wonderful adventure to be married to Isaac. I'm so glad, Isaac, he's a man of God. I don't deserve to be married to Isaac, the man of God. Being married to Isaac has been like heaven on earth for me. I'm so glad to stand together today as a grateful, supporting wife of Isaac. And I'll stand with Isaac till I die. Those are the words she would say. Now, it takes humility to say those things. To have a great marriage does not mean to have no problems. And I'm talking about problems between the spouses. But it means to stand together. And it means to come back together after a division. And that takes humility. It means for a spouse to never demean their mate to others, but always speak highly of them. I remember one time we were interviewing our finance person in our company before she took this job. And she's Russian, so she speaks with a Russian accent. Uh, of course, you know, she doesn't speak with a Swedish accent. She's Russian. And I was asking her one time during the interview, I said, well, tell me about your husband. She lit up like a light bulb. And she said, I am married to an amazing man. Boy, that was something. I remember when Donna, when she was here, I think she was up standing, and she was talking about Ed Dickinson, and she said, I don't deserve to be married to a person like Ed. That was something. I remember when this last Thanksgiving in talking with... Um, Jeanette, uh, my son David's, my daughter-in-law, Jeanette, and she said about David, she said, David is a wonderful father. Those are words that reflect humility, and they show a desire and an intention and a happiness to stand together. That's what Isaac and Rebecca did. I mean, that's a challenge for us. You know, husbands, how long has it been since you in public said something admirable and complimentary about your mate? And wives, same thing. Now, we've been privileged in this chapter to look carefully into their married lives. And the most revealing thing we've seen has been in verses 21 and 22, where we read, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And it says, And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah's wife conceived. And then the next verse, in verse 27, And the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. See, those words in those two verses, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, in verse 21, and there's verse 22, and she went to inquire of the Lord. Those are beautiful words. Those are beautiful words because they show us something really important about Isaac and Rebekah. It shows us they were praying people. They were praying people. And because they were praying people, they had this wonderful assurance that when they had those children, those were, God, those were God's provisions for them. Those children were God's provision. And they had that insurance because they were praying people. 
I remember uh, there was a lost person, and, and he had gotten cancer, and I was talking to him, and I said to him, I said, are you a praying person? And he said, well, sometimes. And I said, well, now's the time. Now's a time. <laughs> but Isaac and Rebecca, this was a practice. No, they were praying people. And we know that this prayer, as we've seen, it took 20 years for the children to come, for the prayer to be answered. And that shows us the importance of what the Lord Jesus Christ taught in Luke 18.1 when it says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, or for this purpose, or for this goal, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In Luke 18.1. See, in that verse, the Lord Jesus Christ taught that prayer should be an integral part of our lives. And he emphasized one point about prayer when he said, always and not faint. And what he was saying is that the most difficult part of prayer is to continue to pray and not to give it up, not to stop, not to abandon it. And we should be people who pray, and we should be people who pray all the time, and we should be people who don't give up on praying, who don't cast it away, don't get abandoned and say, oh, it's too long, I'm not going to stop this. Oh, he said, don't do that. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Now, you also know Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. He has a summer blitz that's been launched with 111 missionaries in 15 U.S. and Canadian cities. And we are reaching out to lost Jewish people. We've reached nearly 200,000 doors in three weeks of doing our campaign to reach lost Jewish people. In fact, we had a salvation where one of our missionaries knocked a door where a Jewish man was about to pray They gave them their testimony, went over some scriptures, and he always wanted to know an explanation of why he had to love God and do good works to justify himself. He was searching for the truth, and he made a profession in the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed his sins and trusted him as his Savior. And you, too, can support Jewish evangelism by calling 800-247-3051, or israelrestoration.org. In fact, speaking about prayer, he said in Matthew 7, 7, easy to remember, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. See, what he said in those verses centers around those three all-important words in prayer. Ask, seek, not. Now, the verb tense in the Greek there is important for us because in those three verbs that he uses, the tense and in Greek, that is a continuous tense. The ask, seek, knock. And that's what the tense is for those verbs. Which means that he was really saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. To not just, don't just ask and seek and knock once and then give up, but to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, in Genesis 25, 21, when it says Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, that means that Isaac kept on asking the Lord for his wife because she was barren. That means that Isaac kept on seeking the Lord for his wife because she was barren. That means that Isaac kept on knocking on God's door for his wife because she was barren. So we couple that together in Genesis 25, 21 through 22, along with what we're just considering in Matthew 7, 7, and we could read it like this in Genesis 25, 21 through 22. And Isaac kept on entreating the Lord for his wife because she was barren. The Lord was entreated of him, Rebekah's wife conceived. And the children just struggled within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went and kept on inquiring of the Lord. 
See, to keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking, that requires a seriousness about prayer. It requires an attitude that's not, it's not a casual attitude in prayer. It's a type of praying that's kind of earnest, is where a person says to themselves, I'm going to engage myself in this prayer business. I'm not just going to turn off my mind when I pray and repeat the same words I've already said to God in the past and hope by my much speaking that somehow he hears me. A diligence, a purposeful intention in prayer is saying, I'm going to set myself to pray until God answers. It's a perseverance that says, I'm not going to stop praying until God answers my prayer. And it's to recognize that prayer is really a process. When he talked about, you know, ask and seek and knocking, it's really a process of three requirements. I mean, those are three requirements. And God doesn't answer until we get all the three parts right, until we meet all the three requirements. So to effectively pray, we've got to ask ourselves a question, have I got all the three parts right? Have I met all three requirements? And so what are the three requirements? Well, that's what I was just saying. The Lord Jesus Christ told us. He says the first requirement of prayer is when he used the word ask. See, by using the word ask, he was saying that the first requirement that you need to really meet, the first part you've got to address, the first part you've got to meet in prayer is to be specific when you pray. Ask means to be precise you know, don't just choose a blanket word like bless. Lord, bless. Bless, 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 bless. Just bless, 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 bless. Okay, fine. No! He says, be specific. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ, he addressed this, the requirement, when he said to the blind man in Mark 10, 51, in Mark 10, 51, he said, and Jesus answered and said unto him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I may see my sight. That's kind of like almost a, a comical scene. I mean, there's this man is blind. Can't even walk around. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? You know, what does he expect him to say? You know, I'd like a Reuben sandwich on rye. It seems so obvious to everyone that when the blind man called out to the Lord Jesus Christ to have mercy on him, his greatest need was to receive his sight. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, there's going to be no assuming in prayer here. We're not going to assume this. So he wanted for that man, say it. State it precisely what you want me to do. Say it. Even though it's obvious to everybody. It's obvious to me. It's obvious to you. It's obvious to you. Say it with your mouth. Now, the question is, why would the Lord do that? Why did he do that? It was obvious. Like we said, it's obvious his greatest need is to receive his sight. Why is it necessary for this man to verbally state it? Why should he have to say that? The reason is because precise prayer is the foundation of praise. Precise prayer is the foundation of prayer. The more precise our prayer, the more precise our praise. The Lord Jesus, what he wanted this blind man is to precisely ask me for your sight so that when I restore your sight, the blind man would say, I asked the Lord to restore my sight and now I'm praising him for restoring my sight. And another reason why it's important to ask precisely is because it increases our love for the Lord. It increases our love for the Lord Jesus. That's important for us. I mean, we sing, and we want, and we really want, more love to thee. See, like the hymn goes, more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. More love to thee. So the question is, how do we get more love to the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, how do we do that? 
And David, he explained to us exactly how to get more love to Jehovah Jesus. When he said in Psalm 116, verse 1, he said, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. David said, if anyone wants more love for Jehovah Jesus, then know that he's heard your voice and he's heard your supplications. In order for God to hear our voice and our supplications, we've got to speak out to him. We have to ask precisely for what we want. If we don't ask precisely for what we want, then we're not impressed that when he answers the prayer, that it was in response to our voice and supplication. So David's love for the Lord increased when he realized that God heard his voice and God heard his supplications. And that wouldn't happen unless he put out his voice and his supplications. When David knew God heard me, then David's love for God increased. So one reason to meet the first requirement of prayer to ask is to know that God's heard our voice, our supplication, and our love for him can increase. And he made a promise that he said, you know, if you ask, then it'll be given to you. And James explained the problem when he says in James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. You don't have it, you didn't ask. That's a problem. So what that verse is saying there is we don't have oftentimes because we don't ask we don't ask god in prayer we have not specifically asked in prayer he wanted to heal the blind man but he wouldn't do it until he asked him and therefore the blind man could have gone on in his state of blindness and we can go on in our state of need if we don't ask if the blind man didn't ask if we don't ask you know how we like to do life we like you know we like to get into the pilot seat of the plane and say where's the autopilot switch you know it's a, there's got to be a switch All i got to do is just flip that switch and I can sit back and just take a nice sleep knowing that all the needs will automatically be provided for by God without having to ask because I just switched the autopilot switch. And it comes to our needs, we don't have an autopilot switch with God. And there's no switch that's marked, you know, flip this switch and all your needs will be automatically answered, provided for by God. Lord, just take care of everything I need, would you please? Autopilot switch. Bless me. Bless everything that I need. When a pilot is in stormy weather, he doesn't flip the autopilot switch. He flies the airplane. And our lives are always in stormy weather. (laughs) And that's why there is no autopilot switch. We have to constantly be sitting up and, and asking God for this thing and that thing. And then another thing we didn't even know about yesterday. But now it's there. So the first requirement of prayer is to ask. It's the ask part. Seems so obvious. The first requirement of prayer is to ask God in prayer for what we need. We don't do it because we want to flip this non-existent autopilot switch and say, God, I'm tired. I'm going to take a little snooze here. Don't bother me. I just flip the switch. Just take over. No, it doesn't work. So God says, no. Our lives have to be all about asking and keep on asking. And if we don't ask, it won't be given to us. So his first word that he says to us when he said ask is he's saying, quit trying to flip the autopilot switch. It doesn't exist. And then the second part or requirement of prayer is described by the second word when he said seek, seek. See, the word seek, it's not a repetition of the word ask. You know, he's not being repetitious here. It's something different, seek. Seek is something different from ask. And understand what seek means, then you have to ask the question, seek what? I mean, I knew what ask what, you know, ask for the need, but seek what? And seek what is given to us in a few scriptures. And he says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. And he went on to say something very similar in Psalm 27, 8. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, O Lord, will I seek. And Hosea 5, 15. Uh, Hosea 5, 15. He said to Israel, I'll go, God said to Israel, I'll go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they'll seek me early. See, those scriptures tell us specifically what we are seeking. See? And when he said seek, you know, and the question is, what are we seeking? The answer is the face of Jehovah Jesus. What a great day of studying the Bible here for a Monday with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. We appreciate you listening, but we also need your support to continue airing on this station in your city. Now, you can support us by going online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, donate one time online, or you can call us and be one of our monthly supporters at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. You can support us for a donation of any amount, maybe it's $5, $10, $20 a month, something that will be an encouragement and keep this Bible teaching radio program going that you love so much. We have lots of downloads of this program that are free and made available free because of your support and donations. And that's also online at friendshipwithgod.org. But again, we need your support, so please donate by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now, if you're in the Southern California area and would like to work full-time for Tom Cantor's foundation, Israel Restoration Ministries, that goes to reach Jewish people, and you'd like to be a full-time missionary or volunteer working with us, specifically in the Southern California area, if you have interest in this, please call us also at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go to israelrestoration.org. 